Hey everyone, welcome to the Leadership Lab podcast where we are developing the heart and soul of leaders. My name is Bianca. And my name is Jeremiah. And today we're going to have a conversation with a real leader leading on the front lines. And I believe you're not only going to leave inspired, but you're going to have some practical takeaways that will help you lead effectively. Let's go. Hey, welcome to the Leadership Lab podcast, where we're developing the heart and soul of leaders. My name is Jeremiah, and today we've got a very special guest on the show with us. His name is Jeff Cochran. He is the author of The Next Level Leader, and we are honored to have you here, Jeff. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in leadership, and let's get into this conversation. Yeah, well, Jeremiah, thanks so much for having me, man. I love y'all's podcast. I kind of, you know, I found it. I'm always searching. I told you, I'm always searching for a good leadership podcast and found y'all's. And I love listening to it. I love your energy. Love what's happening in your church and in your city. So uh, my name is Jeff Cochran, and I live in Knoxville, Tennessee right now with my wife and my two boys. I have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, so our house always smells, and it's always a lot of fun. Um but I've spent 17 years in local church ministry until the end of 2020. And January 1st, when the calendar rolled over, I stepped out and stepped into running my own business. Uh, it's a consulting, coaching, communication business to help, still help the church, but to help the people of the church outside of just the institution of the church. So I serve a lot of pastors, serve a lot of, of Christian business leaders, and just want to help people step into their full potential. But I spent most of my ministry career in student ministry and then a little bit of time in groups and missions. So love what you all are doing. And I have a passion for the local church uh, and still do local church consulting, like I said, helping pastors and, and churches as much as I can. So I really believe, Jeremiah, that God has put everything in this world that we need to bring the kingdom from heaven to earth. We just got to believe in what he's put inside of us. So I want to be a guy that launches that out of people. Man, that's so cool. And what, I mean, that's a lot of courage to just step into that and say, hey, I'm going to leave something that I've, that I've known and that I've seen other people mm -hmm. do very successfully for a long time. And I know that there's probably a, a path forward there but I know God has something for me over here. And so I'm going to jump into that. So tell us a little bit about the next level leader, the book that you've just re recently released and yeah. you know, why, what, what kind of stirred in your heart to begin to write that? Yeah, it's a, it's a fun story. Um, and it's, it's not one of those stories. You know, some leaders have these great stories of epiphany. That's not what it is for me. Uh, it was about five, six years ago. I took a job at a new church and I went from leading a student ministry of about a hundred people total to leading a ministry of sixth through 12th graders that averaged over 500 a week, over 1,000 a month. I had more volunteers I was leading all of a sudden than I had ever led people before. And I remember as soon as I got done with the interviews, I was very confident in the interviews. I really believed this was where God had us. But the moment they offered me the job and I accepted it, a moment of panic set in. And I remember having the thought, how long is it gonna take for them to realize they made a mistake and I don't know as much as they think I know. I'm not as good as they think I am. Because what I knew, Jeremiah, was I had the gifts and the talents and the calling to do that job, right? But I didn't have it yet, right? I had the gifts, but I didn't have the experience and have the talent. So I remember I just wrote a question down on my notepad sitting in Southern Alabama in the middle of nowhere. And I said, what takes average leaders to the next level? And I started calling 
anybody with a pulse who was a better leader than me who would answer. I started calling people in churches and businesses and, and begging them for 15, 20, 30 minutes. And uh, anybody who would answer, I would just soak it up. I would take notes. I would do whatever I could. And my leadership started growing before I ever got to that church. Now, when I got into that church, I kept going because honestly, man, I had this insecurity inside of me where I don't know if you've ever dealt with imposter syndrome, but it was raging inside of me at that point in my life. I hadn't gotten as healthy emotionally as I wanted to get. So I felt like I had something to prove. So I spent the first year of ministry at that church doing nothing but asking that question, probably the first 18 months. And I started noticing a pattern. My leadership took off. People started noticing. I'd been at that church for six months when they approached me about, hey, uh, here's a couple of roles that you could potentially take. Are you interested in being a campus pastor down the road? Are you interested in being a central student pastor? And I'm sitting there thinking, guys, I, I don't even know if I can do this job yet. Where is this coming from? But it was because they saw my leadership rising. So I started looking at the answers and realized everybody said the same 15 things over and over and over again in their own vernacular, in their own creative ways. So that was the moment when I said, you know what, I think this should be a book. And I just started doing more research. So I asked that question again for probably another year from leaders that are incredible in their own right, but nobody knows their name, all the way to leaders like John Maxwell, the same question. And uh, over time, and it just became very clear, I started writing the book and I said, this leadership approach, what I found changed my life and changed the life of so many people that I've led who have said, hey, we don't know where you got this, but this changed the trajectory of where we were going. I actually had a, a friend um, who I used to lead. His name is AJ. He hosted my podcast, turned the mic on me and interviewed me a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about it. He said, hey, I remember doing the assessment that comes with the book years before it was a book. And AJ was at a point where people were asking the question, can AJ do it? Is he the leader he needs to be to do this? And when we got done walking through this process, he took three promotions in the next 18 months. Wow. Three. Because everybody said, hey, something's different. So I wanted to write the book because I believe, Jeremiah, when we take something God's given us and we hold it to ourselves, we're stealing from the kingdom. And I don't want to steal from the kingdom. I don't want to stand before Jesus and say, I gave you something for my kids and you didn't give it to them. So I'm a firm believer. When I learn something, I'm going to share it. You know, I'm going to talk to a couple of people. I'm going to refine it. I'm going to write a blog. I'm going to preach a sermon. And this book was really the heart of something that changed my life and took me from being insecure, wondering if I could do it to saying, I can do whatever God puts in front of me. I just got to keep developing um, I wanted to share it with anybody and everybody because I've seen the impact it can make. And man, I just, I believe everybody has more in them. They just need someone to call it out. So my hope, my prayer is that this book is that. It calls that out to people all over the world to say, hey, there's more in me and I'm going to pursue it. Man, you just dropped some nugget. I mean, just, just there's a, a, a quite a few things right there. I want to mine into just a few of the things that you just said. Sure. So you just said the stealing from the kingdom thing. I mean, you know, not just people who want to write books, but I mean, every single person who has been given a spiritual gift, I mean, we're supposed to use that spiritual gift and to lead others in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So, I mean, how, how do you, how do you take that responsibility of knowing I've been entrusted with something and, and taking it all the way out because you've, you've got to then work at refining that craft, that skill, that, that thing that God's given you to then use it so mm -hmm. that you can impact other people. Yeah. 
Well, I just think about this. When you got a gift and you see it, find out if someone else sees it. Because if it can be confirmed in the presence of two or three witnesses, then you know, okay, God put that in me. God did not put that gift in you to waste. He put it in you for a reason. So our job is to find that reason. And this is the crazy thing to me, Jeremiah, and, and I've done this, so I'm chief sinner here. But as Christ followers, so often we say, okay, God gave me a gift. It's been confirmed in me by other people, yet I'm going to trust what the enemy says about me instead of him. Wow. I'm not going to trust that he gave me that gift and wants me to use it because the enemy whispered in my ear, I'm not good enough and I'll fail and people won't listen to me. Right. What did, what did God say to Moses in the very beginning? He said, Moses, what's in your hand? So good. What you have is enough to change the community and the world that you're in. I promise. But what we do is we take that insecurity and we go, Hey, I, I can't deal with that. So the first thing we've got to do, and the first thing I look at is I have to just say, what would I do? I ask myself this question all the time because we have to we have to move and take action before we believe. And I love it. Pastor Chris Hodges says it this way, but he says, um, actions lead, feelings follow. Actions lead, feelings follow. So what I love to do is I ask this question of myself often and the people I coach. I'll say, what would I do or what would you do if what God said about us was true? Mm. maybe you don't feel like it's true yet. That's okay. Right. But faith is when I don't feel it. I still walk in it. Say it. So what would I do if what God says about me is actually true? And that's a game changer. Then from there, it's just pursuing and saying, okay, I need to get around other people who are farther along than me. I need to take a, a solid leadership approach, which is what I've tried to provide in next level leader. Something that's not one size fits all, but is a starting point for everyone. Right. And I need to take what people are saying, let people sharpen me as iron sharpens iron. I need to let that leadership approach work. I need to run a plan. And then what I got to do is I got to look for opportunities to use that gift. So for me, Jeremiah, I, I knew my time in student ministry was coming to an end a couple of years ago. So I stepped out of student ministry and I felt like a duck out of water, man, because in my new role, I wasn't preaching a ton. Um, and everybody around me said, Jeff, one of your greatest gifts, you're, you're, you're one of the better communicators we've heard. God's put a gift on you in it, right? Well, wasn't using it. I have a strategic gift where I see things unfold really before other people do. I connect different dots and I can help people come up with plans, right? But I wasn't really able to use that. I was overseeing groups and missions and I love the people and I love the ministry, but it wasn't me. So uh, over all of last year during the pandemic, I had a chance to ask people who were close to me, what gifts do you see in me? What weaknesses do you see in me? And uh, I, I've started doing this. I'll ask for three strengths and one weakness. A lot of us, we like to go, hey, give me three strengths and three weaknesses. I don't know about you, but I know that if I hear three weaknesses, I didn't listen to any of those strengths. I'm thinking about all three of those weaknesses. So I want, I want three strengths and one weakness because you better bet I'm still working on that weakness, right? But I took those strengths and I looked and I realized toward the end of the year, I'm not using any of those top five strengths that people see and confirming me on a daily basis. I'm not. Wow. And that was the moment where I said, okay, God, you didn't put these gifts in me to waste. Is there a place I can shift within my current role? Because I don't feel called away from my city. Is there a place where I can shift within my current role where I could use these gifts? And at the moment, there wasn't any. So I said, okay, God, what would a guy like me do with the gifts you gave him if what you said was true. Wow. And it didn't take very long. I went to 20 people, 20 people in the inner and outer circle. And I said, Hey, 
this is what I'm feeling. I feel like I'm supposed to start this business to serve churches and kingdom people and just launch people into something new. My job is to launch them. It's to help them break barriers. 19 out of 20 said, that's what you're made for. Go do it. Right. So, and it started with that question. That question will unlock so much in your life. What would I do if what God said about me was actually true? That's so good. And I love what you said about faith. I mean, you don't feel it yet, but you take that step because you know, if you just had to say, what's God saying to me? That's what he's saying. He's saying that right there. I'm going to step out on that. Now in your book, you talk about balance a lot, you know, so what's, mm-hmm. what's the, what's the deal with balance and leadership? How do, how do those things correlate together? Yeah. Well, if you're an unbalanced leader, you're usually a bad leader. That's the correlation that I found. And in the book, I separate really leadership into three main spheres, if you will, three sides of a leadership triangle. So you've got inner drive. People have to be able to have an inner drive, an inner burden. You have to be self-started. Like nobody needs to wind you up if you're going to be a good leader. You got to bring your own energy, right? I got a friend who says, bring my own weather. I bring my own weather where I go, right? And I love that. So you got to have the inner drive, but two, you can't be a good leader without a strong outward focus. You have to be focused on people because if you're focused on yourself, you're not leading your grandstanding. There's a difference. You're performing, right? Leading's about other people. And then the last thing you got to have the third sphere is discipline, determination, discipline, determination, the discipline and determination to do the hard things consistently that most leaders do rarely. If you have those three things, you can be a next level leader. You can escape average. You can totally change the trajectory of how you impact people. But if you're missing one, people notice. Okay, so and I'll give you an example. This was me in my 20s. I'm 35 now. The last five years have been trying to escape this. But in my 20s, I was one of the hungriest, most passionate leaders you would find. I actually got the, the first really good church job I got. I remember the pastor telling me, your resume wasn't even good enough to have a conversation, but we never met anybody more passionate than you. And we thought, well, heck, we can teach everything but passion, right? But my people focus was low. My discipline determination was high, not as high as, as hunger, right? So I had that inner drive. And I had a pretty strong discipline determination, but my people focus was low. I, I love people, but, you know, let's speak truth and love. I was that guy. So I spoke a lot of truth with a little bit of love, you know, and what I did was I moved so fast that I left people behind me wondering, does he really care about me or just the mission? You know, and, and here's something we never want to do as Christian leaders. We never want to leave people asking, does he really care about me or just Jesus? Because Jesus never said there was that option. He said, you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Those two are connected, right? People knew I loved Jesus. They knew I loved the mission, but they weren't sure if I loved them. So I had to change because when I took that job at Faith Promise Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I started asking this question, trying to figure out how to grow, one of the things that happened was I had a meeting with a career psychologist. And this career psychologist, she asked me a question that haunts me to this day. I'll never forget it. She said, Jeff, you're a once in a generation top talent. You can do anything that you want to do. She said, but if you're not careful, you're going to get to the top of the mountain and you're going to realize you're alone and you're going to look back and behind you, there's going to be a trail of broken and bloody bodies. She said, you're going to win. But if you get to the top of the mountain and nobody's there with you, is it really leadership? Mm. And something snapped in me that day, man. And I said, you know what? No. I would rather be the guy that got almost to the top of the mountain and didn't get all the way there, but pushed a person up that I love 
rather than get up and look down and see people who couldn't make it because I ran too fast. And it, man, it broke me, wow. broke me pretty hard. And it started a journey for me of not just leadership development, but of self-healing as well. I realized I had to focus the next two to three years really on outward focus, I had to become an encourager of people. I had to become and empower people. I do what John Maxwell says, man, I, I want to put a 10 on everybody's forehead, right? And I had a leader who originally, when they met me, said, Jeff, you struggle to love people, who a couple of years later said, Jeff, you believe in people too much. And I laughed. I said, I don't think I can believe in people too much. And he said, well, I know John Maxwell talks about putting a 10 on people's forehead, but Jeff, you put a hundred over there. Do you believe in people? And I said, well, you know what? I'd rather put a hundred on their forehead and then, you know, become a 20 and break new barriers than to put a seven on their forehead and then really be an eight and me limit them. So yeah, man, I, I, I just want to see, and I believe it's a gift that God's put in me. I see the potential in people that they don't see in themselves. And I'm going to call that out because I think the greatest gift I can give to King Jesus are people who wouldn't have stepped into who he created them to be without me being his voice to them. So that's my gift is I'm calling out Abba's belief in you when I'm around you. And that's just, that's the guy I want to be, man. So balance is huge because of that. If you're outward focused, but you don't have that, that inner drive, right? You, you don't have that drive. You're going to love people, but you're not going to get anywhere because you're not going to make the hard decisions. You're, you're, you're going to have days where you just, you don't feel it. And if you don't feel it, you don't do it. And then if you're driven and you love people, you're going to get people really excited. You're going to start 800 things and you're never going to finish them well because it takes discipline and grit to finish things well. It takes resilience when things aren't going easy. So you, you don't have to have all 15 traits in the book. Nobody does. A thousand people will take the assessment and they'll get a thousand different paths to grow their leadership. But everybody has to have at least a couple of strengths if they want to be great in each of those three spheres, because you got to be balanced. So without balance, we're just a, a shadow of what we could be as a leader. So that's the first thing I look at is where am I at? Where am I strong? That's great. But where am I out of balance and where am I close to bringing balance? And that's what I'm going to attack in my leadership. Let me encourage you. If you were low on the people thing, you are high on it now. I mean, I saw that passion for people just welling up inside of you. Just even that emotion that just says, "Hey, I want to, I want to boost them up to the next level." I love that, man. So, if if you are encouraging leaders today, what do you think is one thing that's holding some people back from being that next level leader that God's called yeah. them to be? Honestly, I would say it's three things. Right. And I've got, I'm going to make sure I've got these written on my board because I'm working on some stuff with it right now. But I think the first one, what's holding leaders back is a lack of belief in themselves. It's a lack of personal belief. So we've already talked about it a little bit, but do I believe in myself the way other people believe in me, the way that God believes in me? And if I don't, can I start asking that question? What if what they said about me was true? What if what God said about me was true? Sometimes you just start with the people around you. What if what my wife said about me was true? Right now, if she doesn't believe you and you pick somebody else, right? But we need that personal self-belief. But I think it's a lack of belief. It's a lack of balance, like we just talked about a minute ago, right? And you can't fix balance until you have belief. If you have belief for that balance, you can't go any farther. But I think the third one may be the biggest one. So I think a lack of self-belief keeps us from seeing the other problems, right? But I think a lack of resilience is the biggest issue today. Mm. And that's really the third one. You can't deal with a lack of resilience until you first dealt with your own self-belief, until you've dealt with balance. But resilience, I talk about in the book, and I say, if I could just 
get you to take one thing and grow it. One thing, it would be resilience because leaders have to have a grit that's just different. The enemy is going to try to knock you down, make you question who you are, and he's good at it. Things like pandemics are coming. There are dreams that God puts in your heart and you go and you step out to do them and nothing happens. Think about Moses, man. You're, you're standing there with the nation of Israel. You're looking at the Red Sea and the Egyptians are pulling up behind you. Most of us would have quit. We would not have stood in there for a, a lack of a better term, using a football reference. Moses stood in the pocket and stared down that pass rush, mm. right? He waited to the last possible moment because God specializes in the last possible moment. If I didn't have resilience, I would have already went back to the church world. Jeremiah, I've been offered more jobs since I stepped out of church ministry uh, just in the last couple of months. I've been offered in the last five years, right? People want me to come back. And every time somebody asks me, it's after a, a week where I've struck out financially. Wow. It's easy to go back, right? But I am not going to do it. I'm going to see this through. I'm going to wait on God to part that Red Sea because I know what he said, right? I confirmed it in the presence of witnesses, right? And usually right after those things, right after I turn something down, I'll have a financial breakthrough, okay? My biggest breakthroughs, they haven't come yet. They're still coming. But without resilience, we can't step into the hard times and walk into who God created us to be because you cannot get to where God created you to be without going through the fire. It's refining it's that pressure that makes diamonds out of you. But for so many of us, we're scared to death of that. And we think of resilience. This is, this is one thing I would encourage leaders not to do. Sometimes we think of resilience when we think about how people have weaponized it during the pandemic. And here's what I mean by that. Leaders who have said, hey, we know we're asking you to work more. And we know we're asking you to do all these check-ins because you know, we're not sure that you're really working. And we know that we're asking you to work after hours now because you're home. And it's easy, but just, hey, let's be resilient. Be a team player. If you can just be resilient wow. for a little while longer, that's not resilience. That That's poor leadership. That's weaponizing resilience. Yeah. Okay. The amount of, and and I'll just, I'll, I'll say this, whether you're a church volunteer or a church leader, the amount of churches and church volunteer teams and church staffs that don't operate under a standard Sabbath blows my mind. Mm. It blows my mind in the name of resilience, weaponized resilience. We don't trust that God can do more in six days than we can do in seven. Wow. Okay. And it's just, it's crazy. Churches, we talk about tithing all the time. Hey, if you give 10%, God will blow your mind with blessing. He'll do more in that 90 than you could do with a hundred, right? Yet we don't do the same thing a lot of times from pastoral leadership with the Sabbath. Then why would God trust us, right? So wow. that's a little bit of a soapbox for me. I like it. So I'm not talking about weaponized resilience, but I'm talking about just saying, you know what? And I use the example in the book of hitting the wall. I ran. I don't have a runner's body anymore. I'm a solid 240. Not, you know, my knees can't handle it anymore. But in college, I ran. And I ran cross country, ran half marathons, and hitting the wall was real. So I used that in the book. The wall comes usually at about a mile 18 right? And at mile 18 out of mile 26 on a marathon, your body sabotages you and starts telling you there is pain there. Your brain starts telling you there is pain there. Your brain literally tries to trick you into thinking you are dying. So you will stop. Okay. Wow. Self-preservation. Okay. But the moment you tell your brain, and this is the difference, man, Navy SEALs, Marines, they know this. They're not the most athletic guys. 
They're taught grit. They're taught resilience. And they know that when my brain says, stop, you're dying, there's 20% in me more at least. Now, I'm not taking the full 20%. I'm going to be a good steward of what God has given me, right? But so many times when runners stop and faint and fail and they go, I just can't do it, they regret it for the rest of their life. But the runners who, who actually talk about getting past the wall, they said, hey, I just had to tell myself I can do this. I'm going to go one more step. Someone came out from the side and ran with me for a moment. So what I tell leaders resilience is, is resilience is this. When you think you're done, just take another step. That's good. When you think you can't run anymore, just try one more mile. And, and this is the easiest way I know how to put it for people when they're thinking about leaving their job, right? Because if you're listening to this, doesn't matter what field you're in, you probably think about leaving your job at least once a year. Bad stuff happens. It's hard, right? I tell people never quit on a good day, okay? Work a two weeks notice before you put in your two weeks notice. And here's what I mean. When you think there's no way I can stay, this is just too bad. I've got to find another place. This place is toxic. Give them two of your very best weeks. Give them two weeks at 110%, the best version of you they have ever seen, where you say, I'm going to do what scripture says, and I'm not complaining about anything. I'm going to act for two weeks like this place is great. They have no problems. And the only problem could be me not giving my best. And I'm just going to be the best Jeff that I can be for two weeks. If at the end of that two weeks, you still feel like quitting, you still feel like it's toxic and things haven't changed, turn in your two-week notice. But if you haven't given them two weeks your best, you might be part of the problem. Wow. And here's the thing. When I give two weeks of my best, it changes my heart. Yeah. Because when I left, when I left my church, I, I didn't really want to leave ministry yet. I just knew God was calling me to something, right? So resilience is that. It's that go another mile, go another 10 steps. It's that put in my two-week notice before I put in my two-week notice. It's that type of mentality. And if we could get that today, Jeremiah, leadership would change across our country because resilience is what we're lacking. But as leaders, we have to steward it well. We cannot weaponize resilience, okay? Because we got to know that people have to have rest. You, and you'll notice I didn't say work giving your best, you know, 110% for the next, you know, three months because you'll burn out. Yeah. Right? I said, two weeks. So we've got to make sure we steward that well. That's so good. This has been a great conversation. I got one more question for you as we kind of bring this to a close here. And that is, if you were to encourage a leader to take a next level approach, what would you encourage that leader to do? Yeah. Well, I would encourage them to get the book and that's not a, a sales tactic, but the reason why I wrote next level leader, um, I had someone ask me the other day, they said, why would someone buy the book? And I said, you know what? It's a $17 investment in yourself that's going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of dividends. I just believe it. Right. So I put everything I know, everything I've found, and it's not me being the experts, everything I've found from asking the experts for a really long time into that book. I put real life case studies, but maybe the best case study is me. I'm a transformed leader from where I was when I hit 30, from 30 to 35, a different guy completely and entirely so I would, I would encourage people to get the book and do this. Here's what the book is going to do for them that is going to change the trajectory of their lives. They're going to find out their strengths and they're going to move those to the side because a lot of approaches are going to tell you just focus on your strengths and don't do anything else. Well, everybody else still notices the other things. So that's a problem. And you going from being an eight in a leadership area to a 10 often just makes you a little bit of a jerk, a little arrogant doesn't make your bottom line change quite a bit, right? If you're an eight, that's good enough for the moment. 
And then other approaches will say, look at your weakness, look at where you're weak and fix those things. If you're a three on a scale of 10, you're probably never going to get to a seven or eight. You could work for 10 years. It's not going to happen. So I tell people through the process of the book, if it's not a critical weakness, that's going to cost you your job. Don't touch it. And if you do get it just to the point where it's not critical. Okay. And then try to look to get to a role where you're not having to use that. Okay. But what the book is going to do, it's going to tell people to approach their leadership in a different way. It's going to say, Hey, find the blind spots because blind spots are never weaknesses and they're never strengths. We know where we're weak. For the most part, we know where we're weak and we know where we're strong. But if you tell me, and this is what happened to me, Jeremiah, people would say, well, Jeff, you're, you're not the best at loving people. You're not the best at listening to people. And I would immediately say that's not true because I've been told, I can tell you, you know, this person, this person, this person, they told me I was a great listener. Or I know this person feels loved by me and this, right? And it was because those things weren't weaknesses. They were blind spots. I was good enough at them for them to not be a weakness, but not good enough at them for them to be a strength yet. But I operated as if they were strengths. I operated as if I didn't have to work on them. So the, what I would ask people to do through the book is you find those blind spots. You find what I call borderline strengths. You find that thing that's a six or a seven and you make it an eight, right? And you, you, you try to find balance through that process. But here's the deal. Anybody can turn a six or a seven into an eight, a blind spot into a strength in three to six months with an intentional development. And when you do the right thing, you're not trying to work on everything. You do the right thing. People notice and they start asking questions. They say, what happened to you? Mm. tell me about it. And when they say, what happened? You tell me about it. That's where you call the champion out of them. You call the greatness out of them and you do for somebody else what somebody did for you. And you say, Hey, let me, I'm going to get you a book. I want, and I'm going to walk through it with you. And then it becomes not just leadership development for you. It becomes discipleship. That's I'm going to walk somebody else through becoming a better leader and becoming a better man, woman of God. Because that's what it's all about. Man, this has been so great. Hey, I know that you got the book that's out, Next Level Leader. Uh, I know that mm -hmm. you have your own podcast. And where can people find you on social media if they want to discover more content? Yeah. Jeff Cochran. Uh, JeffCochran.online is my website, and it's going to connect people everywhere. Uh, my handle on social media most places is jeff.a.cochran. Places like Facebook and LinkedIn, it's just Jeff Cochran. And uh, right now, if they go to the website, they're going to find information about the book. They're going to find the podcast. I do too, the Next Level Leader podcast that goes with the book, but also a podcast called the Build Your Dream Podcast. Just help dreamers um, chase after their goals. But if you go to the website right now at jeffcochran.online, you're going to find a tab that says join the 30-day challenge. I'm doing a 30-day challenge starting April 5th, the day after Easter, Okay. And I'm going to walk people through daily teaching for 30 days, daily interviews with other coaches and action experts for 30 days. And I'm going to give away two sessions of coaching within that $30 as well. And here's the deal. This isn't making me money because it's, it, it's not very much, right? But 30 days, two coaching sessions, $30. If you'll put in the work, I'll show you how to reach that goal that's had you stuck. Whether that's starting a podcast, writing a book, starting a business, losing 10 pounds, I just want to get people unstuck and see the value of what's inside of them. So I say, hey, if you haven't reached your goal or made the meaningful progress we agreed to by the end of 30 days, I'll give you your money back. So um, if they go to that website right now, they can get that. I would love to meet them, love to be able to coach them. But man, my, my prayer, I can only take 100 people through that challenge. And my prayer is it's 100 people whose lives are turned upside down because they go, gosh, I just realized there's more in me and it's been in there the whole time. That's right? so cool. So that's the goal.
jeffcochran.online. Thank you so much for being here with us. We're excited about what God's doing in your life. I can tell you right now, you're a multiplication leader. I believe that this hundred people is going to turn into hundreds of thousands of people of impact for God's kingdom. Jeff, you're a blessing. Thank you so much for being on the Leadership Lab podcast. Thanks so much for having me, man. It was a blast.